you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. Very excited today. We have a special guest coming from Florida. This guy's been in the game for the last 17 years, but the last four years has been focusing on a particular strategy with mobile homes and just a rock star in the game. So I'm very excited to have him on. He's got a special strategy, a special type of unique situation that can really stand out in comparison to others and something that you guys possibly just starting out with could really benefit from. So I'm excited to have this guy on here and you guys are definitely going to want to pull out some notepad and paper to take some notes. If you guys have any questions, as always, reach out to either of us, but as always hit that subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast and leave a review. Let me know what you guys think about it. But Adrian, what's up, man? How you doing today? Wonderful, Brandon. Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, brother. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. So for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving into who you are, where you're from and what you got going on? I love your shirt, by the way. It says mobile homes. I love it. (laughs) We can get a little bit of that branding of how that came on a little bit later. Yeah, man. That's funny. Yeah. So I started, like you said, about 17 years ago and really it went back. I was being evicted from the house I was living in. Yeah. There with all my friends. We had big parties. We parked motorcycles in the house. I still have eviction notices saying, do not park your motorcycle in the house. We had pool parties inside the house. We were terrible tenants. We paid our rent, but we were terrible, terrible tenants. And my cousin was a mortgage broker at the time. He said, hey, why don't you just buy a house? I never really thought of it, but that was a time when you needed a half a heartbeat and a signature. Yeah. So I bought a house. Moved in my friends that helped me get evicted, and that actually turned out better than it should have. And I was a hobby landlord for, I would say, really about 10 years. I had bought another house. Actually, my second house I bought was at the top of the market. It ended up being a short sale. Long story short, I, I learned a lot from it, and it helped me become very conservative. Then I started going to RIA meetings, listening to podcasts like this and learning. And I just learned this whole other side that was not what the banks told me. Mm. And then I got really interested in it and said, bought a few more properties with the bank still because I didn't understand different ways to get money clear enough. Yeah. And then at the RIA meetings, really how I got to the niche of mobile homes is I would listen to the over and over and over the old gray haired guys in the back of the room. Yeah. Smart man. <laughs> yeah. And I just realized every time they kept talking about mobile homes at some point and either they owned them now or they used to own them. And one of the guys that he was a great mentor to a lot of us, he gave me an excellent deal on one. I bought it. I was scared, but I bought it partially because it came with him and his knowledge. Yeah. And I never looked back, man. It, we actually, I bought a second one, I think within this a month or two. Yeah. I love it. So what what uh, what were you doing for income? What were you doing for a job during those, you know, hobby times of real estate investing, you know, just on the side? 
I did a lot of event marketing for third-party marketing companies. So okay. one day I could be representing Regions Bank, another yeah. day I could be Wendy's, and then I did a lot of NASCAR with Coca-Cola. I had a dream job of traveling the U.S. I ended up actually working with my best friend from second grade. We drove around, got paid really well, lived in hotels. We were classy carnies, like I used to call it. Yeah. A, a wonderful single man life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, that's exciting, man. So you were getting educated basically by just the banks and other people around you. It, it sounds so, so funny to me, those extreme moments of, you know, getting evicted and then kind of transforms into, you know, now what you're so passionate about and just start taking you down a different path, which is crazy. So explain that first deal what that looked like. And then, I mean, did you have any issues when it came down to the housing crash? Did you find yourself <laughs> leveraged or anything? So the very first deal was that house I moved my friends into, a single family. I bought it for $1,500 out of my pocket. All the closing costs, everything was wrapped into the loan. Yeah. And I moved my friends out. So I was doing the house hacking before it was cool or before I knew it was a thing. Yeah. I knew some people that were doing that in college areas. So they would rent out all the rooms. And I was already kind of doing that with what we were renting. So I was living for free, basically. You know, I was the one on the hook. I still had to make all the repairs and nudge my friends to pay rent, which can be uncomfortable at times when they just forget the date and everyone has a different cleanliness level. But we worked through it. I love the idea of not paying rent. And once you go to that, it's really hard to move away. Yeah. Yeah. There's something in your mind that just starts like the light bulb starts going off. So I lived in the master bedroom of that house most of the time. But then I, I closed in the laundry room, seven foot by seven foot, put the laundry outside on a porch. And I lived in a seven foot by seven foot room for years. Yeah. And because I realized I can make money on the master bedroom and I can live in this tiny closet. Yeah, I wanted the cash flow more than the actual big space and room. You know, yeah. I didn't move out of there because I wanted to get married and my wife was more important than living for free. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> but yeah, I did get hung up on. So that was all pre crash. Yeah. I bought my second property with the bank. It was the guy that they wrote about in the papers. I bought, I had an arm. I was losing about $150 a month, but it's okay. You can refinance in two years. The appreciation is going to take care of it. Yeah. And I like to joke around that I timed the top perfectly because I think I bought that day instead of sold. <laughs> That's so good. I, I held a little bit longer than I should have. My cousin was pushing me a little bit. Hey, I, I think you should probably just get rid of this. And I, I had, it was Wamu was my mortgage company. And I kept trying to like, I don't know what they called it now, the where they would redo the loan to give you a lower amount uh, modification. modification. Yeah. And I was calling them every day for weeks and they just had weather issues for weeks and weeks and weeks in a row and couldn't answer the phone. Yeah. And I gave up. And long story short there, the short sale ended up being $30,000 less than I had just in my head agreed that I would, you know, make the adjustment too. And so I had that on my record that stopped me from buying anything for a few years. But I mean, looking back, it was a wonderful lesson because I became very conservative. I mean, in today's market, 
a lot of us that have been in a long time feel that we're getting close to that top again. Numbers just don't make sense as a, a very safe cash flow. Yeah. And I'm not that tempted to buy something right now. Okay. Uh, doesn't mean I wouldn't and doesn't mean I haven't, but yeah. I am pretty conservative because I remember the pain and the embarrassment of having that short sale and messing up my credit and being a, yeah, you a know, failure. A lot of people have fallen into that as well. And some people not even necessarily in real estate, you know, just messing up their credit in one form or another. And if you guys are tuning into this and you guys know that we are very big into the credit space when it comes down to either fixing your credit or educating you on how you can leverage it properly, just like we have to purchase properties with credit cards and even, you know, complete all of our remodels on credit cards. So if you guys do need any help with that, feel free to reach out. You can check out creditrepairmobile.com or just DM me, reach out, and would love to help you guys out. So when you were actually improving, you know, you took that short sale and then afterwards you kind of jumped back on the horse a couple years later or how did that look? Yeah. So my, my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, yeah. I just kind of started leveraging her. She was a nurse. Banks loved her. She had virtually no debt, just a little bit of school debt. Sure. And before we actually got married, I had her buying the house because yeah. she was the prime, shiny, perfect person. And that old job I was saying I had, I got paid sometimes W-2, sometimes 1099. You know, I had that short. I was a mess. Banks didn't like me. Yeah. So I, I utilized her for a few properties. Okay. And then so, like, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, I was just going to say when it comes down to the market right now, I know you were talking about it just a moment ago and we don't know what tomorrow looks like, right? You know, the last six months has been crazy and uh, something none of us would have expected. Yeah. So right now you're being a little bit more conservative. Are you stacking up more cash heavy just in case to whatever the future, you know, turns out to be? And what are your predictions? Exactly. So I was actually on a mastermind call last night and there was a few of us talking about just saving cash. Yeah. And, you know, we are in a very fortunate position that we've had a lot of really strong, really good years in the last few years. We don't have to buy something this year in order to survive. We're not fix and flippers. We're mailbox money, buy and hold. We have the slow income coming in. And it's enough that we can live off of. You know, we can't go travel the world, you know, t- all all year, but we can we can live off of it. So that helps a lot of not having to go buy. And yeah, we're really trying to hone in our systems. We've done a lot of that this year. We've paid off a little bit of debt that we just didn't like. You know, that debt. Yeah. We really, like I said, uh, saving up some cash because I don't like to predict. I don't know. I've been wrong way more than I've been right with predictions. So if I were to give a prediction, I would say do the opposite. Yeah. (laughs) But I I will say that pretty confidently that I think we're closer to the top than the bottom. I think most of us can agree on that. If it's six months, if it's six years away, we're still closer. And, you know, we buy on cash flow and we buy in conservative cash flow. So I'm not buying something that's going to only make 50 bucks a month because I want to be able to lower my rents $50 or $100 if things just go terrible. Yeah. So if I'm a cash flow investor, if, if a property is making 200 a month versus 300, I'm still able to survive. Yep. Yeah. I think that's great points right there. When it comes down to maybe some of the listeners that are tuning in, you know, if, if this is your first deal or maybe your dozenth deal or whatever it is, you 
It comes down to we are in a market. We're in a time, I guess, that you would say it is best to be very conservative or just think about what is the worst case scenario with this deal? Am I locked in for a 30-year fix at this point? Can I handle that mortgage? God forbid if people stop paying rent or if I do need to lower the rent drastically just to be able to fill these you know, spaces, stuff like that. So, And, and I would throw in... Quick. So I was going to throw in, I mean, I'm, we're not fixing flippers. I, I don't know yeah. how to do it, yeah. but if I were to do it, I would want to make sure that if I couldn't sell it, I could at least rent it, you know, sure. for a couple bucks a month as another worst case scenario. Yeah. It's just another backup plan. So let's dive into your strategy. What exactly are you focusing on right now? And because the last four years, it's been a transition, right? You guys have kind of switched up what you're doing. So explain your new model that you're focusing on and what that looks like. Our current main focus is a single mobile home with the land. So we own the home and land package. Okay. And what we have, the market's given us, I'll say, is older mobile homes. And older meaning 60s, 70s, we have a few 80s. Our newest is like a 96. A lot of people think of those 90s as being really old. Yeah. But we've just been in that niche of those old ones for a few reasons, is it becomes very difficult to finance them. Hard money lenders, I've never met one that would do an old mobile home. So older than, well, most of them don't even want to touch any of them. They don't understand them. But older than, I would say, 90s, maybe you can find some people in there. You can find some traditional bank financing back to the 90s. And technically, you can go back to the 70s, getting it to the condition that the bank is going to finance it is gonna be very expensive. Damn near possible, right? <laughs> yep. And a lot of so, these hard money lenders don't wanna do it because at the end of the day, a lot of them don't wanna necessarily get stuck with it, God forbid, that's their worst case scenario. And then it's like a new realm to them because they're used to the fix and flip or whatever it may be, quick in and out. And if they can't picture themselves being able to sell it at the end of the day or, or make money back from it, if they get stuck with it, then they start getting a little more high risk, I guess, right? Yeah, and a lot of it is what you just said, they don't understand it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons we switched our model and focus is because investors didn't know and understand mobile homes. You know, yeah. it's a very small percentage. So I would just joke around. I'm like, oh yeah, they're terrible. Just give them all to me. Send, yeah. send me the <laughs> names and addresses. And really, I would say half of our deal flow came from realtors not understanding them okay. and investors. That's and they so didn't want to deal with it. What's and funny is so, like these other crowds, these other people, hard money lenders, you know, the realtors, other investors, wholesalers, whatever, they don't understand it, but you do. So you can capitalize on that. You can get the better price, you know, just quicker deals, which is awesome. And so we've used a lot of private money and owner financing for them. Sure. But so like, I got a few kind of thing taking it over, a subject to taking it over. We've done one subject to. And that, that was just easy. She just said, hey, why don't you just take over my payments? And I was like, yeah, I've heard of that before. Yeah, I can do it. And I, you know, I said that in my head. And I was like, yeah, we can do that. And then I did everything wrong you could have done wrong. I didn't have the power of attorney. I didn't have anything. And luckily, I had a really good rapport with her because a month later, I had to go, hey, do you mind signing this power of attorney so the mortgage company will talk to me so I can update the insurance? And do I was just very fortunate to have that rapport there. Yeah. And it worked out. And she's still, she's been great. Cause we still have that relationship. 
You know, I've nice. heard you talk about it. You have to keep that relationship because you're in that for a, until the loan is done. Yeah, so true. Well, we, it's funny, I have a friend, you, you mentioned with the credit card stuff that you guys teach. He couldn't find a deal and he was a new investor. He just finally bought two mobile homes side by side on his credit cards. He did the whole thing. And the RIA that I go to is an excellent RIA, but we have a lot of older, very uh, set in their ways, of conservative course. guys, which they're wonderful. Like one they credit kinda, card, I'm not putting anything yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. They <laughs> ragged him for it. You know, and I, I would step in. I'm like, look, yeah, this is maybe not a long-term thing, but this is an excellent way to get started. He has a payment plan to get this down. It's not like he was losing every month on it. You know, so he got started in that momentum and everything. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. That's what it's all about. And, and they're I mean, cheap enough to do it. You know, you know, in our area, every market, you know, we all know is different. Sure. You know, so this one that I have right here virtually behind me. Yeah. That's about a quarter acre. And we bought that home. It's a... Uh, mid eighties, we bought it for $21,000 and I mean, my all in is upper twenties and upper it's rented 20. for 720 a month. Love it. And did you so, do a cash out refinance or are you just all in? No. So that one, that one, we have a private money lender and we do some of our private money lenders. We do more of a, a JV. It's a performance based note. Okay. So the, the quick on that is he, put in the, the buying amount, which okay. is irrelevant to the price. And then he gets half of the net cash flow. Okay. And what that does for him is he's getting more money than he would on a, you know, four, six, eight percent. He's getting double digits. What's and I'm willing I'm willing to give that away because when there's not a tenant there, I don't have the danger of debt of a payment. Yeah. So when we've had four vacancies all at the same time, we didn't have tons and tons of money going out and the stress that comes with it. And then you become a motivated landlord. I just got to get someone in there. I got to stop the bleeding. That's one reason we've moved to that model on a lot of our private money because it benefits both sides. I mean, we actually have some of our IRA money lent out the exact same way. Yeah. That's but, smart. I mean, the point of really bringing it up is, I mean, th those are the pretty common numbers for us in this area. You know, the land value in this particular county is a lot of why we're able to buy it at that price. This one wasn't financeable by a bank at all because it had been moved. So banks don't like them if they've ever been moved from the original time. I don't understand why, but I don't argue it. But again, it helps us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're getting private money lenders to cover a majority of the costs up front, and then, you know, you're you're uh, doing a 50-50 split on profits each and every month over time, which is great. So you have very little into it yourself, maybe just rehab costs and stuff like that. And then you get 50%, which is huge. Are you yeah. guys doing your own property management or? Yeah. So we've, over time, of you know, just continuing education like crazy. We've created our own little systems, pulling from everyone. Yep. Same and, and we have a pretty good system for managing our property is that we don't spend a ton of time on it. We do a lot of self shows. Coronavirus helps with that becoming more popular. We didn't have to have the awkward, like, why can't you meet me there thing? Yeah. And it doesn't consume a lot of our time. But I mean, the biggest thing is you look for a really good tenant. <laughs> yeah. And that helps the rest of the time. You know, putting a good person in there 
makes the management not that hard. No, of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what it's all about. So if you have strong qualifications, like my standards are similar to a bank, you know, I'm a little bit more lenient, but you know, not as strict, but at the same time, if you really set it up, like screening, just like a bank, then technically, or, or typically in my personal experience, I haven't had any drastic issues that, you know, it's something I got to kick somebody out right away, get people in there for the long run, which is great. I totally agree. It's, it's setting those expectations and in communications, it shocks me. I'm sure you talked to a lot of landlords that just don't want to talk to their tenants. Yeah. And I, you, I don't know how you can solve a problem if you don't want to talk. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's silly. Yeah. I'm all about being hands off and leverage. I'm very big on that. And I would have hired out by now. I just tried in the past and I haven't found anybody that cares more about my properties than myself. And they've always done like a hell of a lot less of a job in my personal opinion. And it's worth for me to dish out over a thousand dollars per month on their fees and all the properties. So I'm just like, I'll hang on to the thousand and systemize things that, you know, I'll pay somebody hourly to show the property when the person is already pre-approved, gone through the applications. Mm -hmm. Well, on that, so something that we implemented late last year, I think, was a, the final piece of it. We put a lockbox on it. Uh, we use Simply Safe. It's yep. just a security system, 15 bucks a month. We painter taped the door sensors up. We put a motion sensor in there. And then we have them email over their ID once we've already kind of pre-qualified them through some questions. They understand everything about the property. So we have their ID and we'll call them when they're there in front of it, give them the lockbox code, give them the Simply Safe code, and let them go inside, check it out. And then they have to call us once they've already armed it and everything. And we can log in the app and see if they've left, if they come back or anything like that. Yep. And that's really helped. So we don't have to drive out there. You don't have to pay someone to go out yeah. there. It's that's a game changer on time. With Simply Safe, can you change the codes yourself afterwards virtually? If you have internet connected to it, then you can start doing stuff like that and you can arm it, disarm it. Okay. But we don't want to pay for internet. And so we, we do just the simple one. I don't believe there's a way to do it. Okay. What we'll do is if we're in the area, we just stop by, change the codes. If yeah. we're not in the area, you know, we showed it to four or five people. Yeah. You know, we'll you drive over there. And everything. So Yeah. I mean, some of my mentors have been doing this for 20 years and they don't have assembly safe. All they have is a lockbox and they've never had anything stolen. Yeah, that's great. You're not just putting it out there on the internet. Hey, here's the lockbox code, security yeah. code, you know, go. You, <laughs> yeah, you're getting some pre-qualifications, you know, the neighbors, you know, know you. You've already given them your card and your information. So they'll talk to you too. It's most people, in my opinion, are good and want to do the right of thing. Of course. No, I'm the you same. Know, those, yeah. those few bad apples that give humans a bad name and rap. Yeah. Yeah. that's okay. We'll adjust anyway. <laughs> that's good. So how many deals have you guys taken down at this point? And your main strategy is to hang on to these, right? You're not wholesaling these off or? We'll do a tiny bit of wholesaling. Sure. I think two years ago was our biggest year and we probably wholesaled a dozen or so. Yeah. You know, we're not that big fancy wholesaler that we're getting minimum five or $10,000 each. Yeah. Because my main goal every time someone calls, what you said, is to buy it. Yeah. And then sometimes we're just not the best option for that person. And yeah. then we wholesale it. 
or I say, Hey, you just need to talk to a realtor. I have a few that, you know, will work for you. Obviously, like I said, we want to buy it, but I also want to do what's best and give the best options for the seller. That's a great problem solver right there because that's the business that we're in. That's awesome. And it all comes back around. I mean, it's it's a lot of us have a scarcity mindset at the beginning. As soon as you get over that, I mean, you, you know, the abundance mentality is just, yeah. you, you go a lot further long term. Yeah, it's so true. Okay, so so how many deals has it been at this point? We take care of a little over 30 properties. 30 uh, we properties. own most of those. Some of them are master leases where we're, as an example, we have a 40-year lease with these people. And then we have the right to sublease it out. And then we get a percentage of the net rent that comes in. That way... And we don't have to be a licensed uh, realtor to do that. We're, we're technically tenants to them and then we're renting it back out. Yeah. And it solved their problem because the title work is so screwed up. It would cost more to fix it than the property's worth. Yeah. So you're doing like subleasing, basically. You're leasing yeah. it. So- we do a tiny bit of that if it's the right tool to, for that person. Honestly, I don't know how many deals we've done in total. My quick guess is maybe 60, 75, something like that. You know, I've done a decent amount of uh, bird dogging would be more considered. We get calls for people that just need their mobile home to be moved. Yeah. I don't want to get into that business. I don't want to learn it. There's some good money for the guys that have that as their niche. Sure. So we just contact, we pre-qualify the person. We never go out, see it. We contact that guy and he just gives us what would be more considered of a bird dog fee. But we sent some emails out. We solved the problem and then we helped this guy. It's like, I'll do those every day if I could. So give the breakdown for like beginner listeners for bird dogging. Bird dogging, in my opinion, is you're going to get paid less because you're going to do less work. But you have the access or the information on the property. You may not have been there or you may have been there and just took some pictures but you don't have the contract. That's what probably the biggest difference is you don't have the contract. And I just go to Brandon and say, Hey, I know these people want to sell. I think these are the numbers or these are the numbers. Do you want it? And Brandon's like, yeah. And I said, okay, well, here's their name, their number. We like to then tell the seller, Hey, Brandon's going to contact you about the property. He's actually going to be able to help you out with it uh, more than we can. So I try to do an introduction there and then I'm out. You know, we receive a check. You know, you do have to, people get scared a lot when they're new. They're like, you know, what if they'd ever send you a check? But then I never send Brandon a little deal and I go around bashing his reputation. Yeah, yeah. It's never happened. Yeah. It's never happened, but it's way better to get in that relationship up front than actually get in a contract relationship with someone and then find out they're a crook. And it's less work too. I mean, at the end of the day, you're just going around, you know, driving for dollars almost. And if you find a deal, you build the relationship a little bit and then toss it on. If you wanted to get very fancy with it, get it under contract so that you have that power. And then, you know, you can start wholesaling it out. But nevertheless, that's a great, you know, breakdown. Cool. So at this point, you mentioned a certain like you coined a term that I didn't know what the heck you were talking about before we actually started hitting the recording. What was that? And give me the breakdown for that again, because I personally haven't heard of it yet. It's called a Lonnie deal in our area. Lonnie Scruggs, he was out of Virginia, I believe it was. Unfortunately, he's passed away a few years ago. I never got to meet him in person. His book is Deals on Wheels. And the short of it is 
he had done everything in real estate, apartments, single family, everything. He said he never made as big of a yield as he did doing these little mobile home deals. So he would buy the home in a park. So he owns just the home. He has to pay the lot rent every month. And then he would sell the home on payments to someone that wants to live in it. Now, he was before all the Dodd-Frank stuff. So you do need to research that to make sure you, you comply because these do fall into that. So his little niche, remember, he's in Virginia area. He would buy it for 2500 and sell it for 5000 at I don't know the exact interest rate he would use, but we'll say 10 or 12%. And a lot of times he would get the properties back and then resell them two, three, four times. I do believe he wanted the people to buy the property, but just statistics show that in that income class, it doesn't usually happen. Yeah. Now his model is he wouldn't do almost any work to it. I mean, if it had a hole in the roof, I'm sure he would fix that. But And we copy a lot of his, if we do anything like that, make it safe, but not pretty. And then the person, you get a handyman that comes in there and wants to take pride and fix it. Yeah. So basically at that point, you, you purchase the property and then you're doing seller financing to the new buyer. So it's yep. kind of like rent to own. They put down a bigger down payment and then you guys structure, you know, acting like the bank, which is awesome because you can get an interest rate higher, a portion of it's going to go towards principal, other interest, and then a balloon payment within a certain amount of years, three, five. Well, we've never done the balloon payment. I don't think he usually did it either. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you could. Uh, I do know that you want to really watch the Dodd-Frank stuff with the balloons, the little bit I know. I'm sure you know more on the Dodd-Frank side than I do because we try to keep it where we don't have to, or if we do, you know, we definitely comply. Cause you, but we don't do balloons on ours. Yeah. I just, cause I don't like a balloon when I'm buying something. And that's really why I decided I don't want to give it to someone else. Cause I just don't like it. Sure. But they're, you can get in pretty cheap. I mean, we, we have bought them for 2,500 we bought them for 5,000 and you, like I said, you sell them for double and they're good little cash cows. Yeah. You should be, I don't know the exact percentage ROI, but I think that you should never do anything under 50%. I mean, most of ours are closer to 75%. I know guys that would never do it under 110%. I mean, these are insane returns, but you have to put it in perspective that 110% might be $115 a month of actual cash flow. So going back to the lifestyle that I think you like and I like, I don't want to be doing tons and tons of work for a little bit yeah, money, but they're fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic to start out. Yeah. And to get the ball rolling and to get the momentum and to start meeting the park manager that maybe yeah. then you can have the end with the park. Yeah. That's and a another an, another little tip was the first one that I bought and this is how I learned it by trial and error. I bought it right before tax time. So okay. beginning of the year. Because in tax time, people have more cash to put yes. down. So true. That's a great point. I bought it for five thousand, and I got fifty five hundred dollars down. Yeah. And I was like, I can't screw this up now. I. Yeah. <laughs> it took all the fear away once that happened, and I, I had, I had a lot of fear at the beginning on that one. 
but it works. You know, the first time doing anything, there's going to be a little bit of fear, like, you know, shit, am I doing this right? Like, how many mistakes am I going to have? Like, uh, you know, you're wishing for the best, but you don't know what the hell you're doing. You read a couple books and now it's like, now I need to truly implement this stuff. So it's natural to have that fear, but the uncertainty as you start experiencing and actually go through the process, you do it a couple of times and it's like riding a bike, right? It gets natural. It's not that bad. You learn something new on each time, what not to do on the next one. And hopefully you have a little grace as you go. So it's not like life changing in the wrong direction, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just, and, not- I mean, I, on that, I'll tell you how we screwed up on that first one. At least yeah. I believe we did. Sure. But uh, when we sold it to the next person, we actually transferred the title and everything, gave it to her. It was in her name. We had a lien against it. But I would never do that again. I would just have the agreement set that you don't get title until you make the final payments. Sure, of course. Because yeah. it makes it way easier to repossess it and stuff. You don't have to deal with as much. Oh. And I just didn't know that, though. And yeah. luckily, it all worked out. You know, and oh. Honestly, I didn't even have all the paperwork. This is where having a network of meeting people, I just emailed somebody and I said, Hey, I'm about to do this. Do you have some paperwork? He sent it to me. I just trusted him. I didn't read it. I filled in the blanks. Yeah. <laughs> it could have gone terrible, but you know, I, I trusted him and I trusted the process that it's fixable. If yeah. I do screw this up. I'm the same exact way. So no judgment at all. At the same time, I, in the beginning, if you are going to take this serious, for all the new listeners, I would highly recommend for that first deal or two when it comes down to, and it's not 100% necessary, you know, you can reach out to some good people in your network, obviously read the documents. Don't be like me or Adrian, just like skimming over it really quick. (laughs) But at the same time, it's not necessarily a bad idea to pay for a lawyer to draft up some good documents for you once. And then you can kind of copy, plug and play moving forward. You know, and when it comes down to those low ticket numbers on the purchases, you're like, shit, you know, I don't want to spend more on my lawyer to be able to make sure this deal works out, but it could potentially set you up and give you that peace of mind of like, you know, no worries. I am safe. I'm secure. I've walked through this process with the lawyer and I have all my documents in place that, you know, will set us up. What we spent several 10,000, you know, plus at this point to get the right documents over time. It wasn't like that on the first couple, just so you guys. Yeah. But it's because I found myself in certain situations. I'm like, shit, I am not protected right now. Right. Yeah. And you want to be. And if you plan on making this a full-time career type of thing, then you want to set yourself up for success. You pay for it once and you can plug and play afterwards for the most part. And uh, on that, a little hack that actually one of my lawyers taught me, we were revamping our lease. Sure. And he's like, we went over the changes and stuff that we wanted to make. And he's like, well, I can type this up and charge you a lot, or you can type it up and put it into review mode on Word document, send it over, and I will correct and make changes, and I'm not going to charge you nearly as much. Yeah. And that, that was huge. I mean, I saved hundreds of dollars, if not thousands, yeah. because it didn't cost so much time. Of course. And there's some good lawyers out there that aren't going to nickel and dime you and charge you, you know, a thousand bucks or plus each time. So it really building those relationships, having your team properly set up and having a, a lawyer that you can send documents to and pay a, a hundred, 200 bucks to be able to get some revisions or whatever, you know, that will set you up for tremendous success for sure. 
I love that. So for the people out there that might be just getting started, what would you recommend? And anything that, I mean, we could do this in two ways, right? If you want to talk about a couple more learning curves, that would be cool. But I also kind of want to give the listeners like a a step-by-step, what do you think would be beneficial if they're just getting started out and they wanted to do the same strategy? Well, if I was just getting started out or even for me right now, if I was going to do a fix and flip that that is not my realm, I don't know how to do it. I highly respect people that do it because I don't understand it. I would honestly just partner with someone on the first one or two. This is how... I got started on the wholesale. I, I knew some rental stuff. Yep. And that can mean lots of things. It could mean, hey, I'm going to pay for myself when I did the wholesale. I'm going to pay for all the marketing. Yep. And you're going to get half of the wholesale fee. I want you to walk me through it all. Yep. It works fantastic for me on that. On I've done that with room. several students in the past, and that has tremendously helped them, plus building the confidence. Like, I truly believe after your third deal, You've gone through it several times. You've seen the moving pieces. You've learned a little bit as well. And the confidence starts building up like, hey, I can do this myself now. Um, funny because I think I used them for the first three deals. It's funny that you say that I never even thought about how many I did it with somewhat. Yeah, it's so good. It's like the first three is what you need to really. And if I could have changed it, I'm telling you, I would have. Because I made a ton of mistakes and just God, God favor over my, over my life to make sure that we still prospered through each one. But geez. <laughs> so if it was going to be a fix and flip or even a buy and hold, you know, it could be that, hey, I've got this property under contract, Mr. Fix and Flipper. Yeah. You know, not someone you don't know at all. You definitely want to vet them out some. Do you want this property? And I want to stay involved. I won't charge you a wholesale fee. I want, you know, 5%, 10%, 20, whatever you can negotiate. But I want to be, I'll be your do boy. I'll go and check on the place. I'll do be there every day. I'll take pictures. I'll do anything you want. Yep. You know, I wouldn't get greedy on the numbers of how much I want to get paid. I want to get something, but I want him or her to give me the experience and tell me what to go and do. The hands-on learning. Yeah. it's, It's so valuable. And I think that's something that people try to skip too much because we just talked about automating a lot of our business and people want to skip straight to that level. (laughs) And you can't. How are you going to tell someone something to do that all you've read is how to do it and you've never done it? You never talk to the contractor and realize when he's just BSing you. It's so funny though, even even just saying that, I literally read dozens upon dozens of real estate books, all the podcasts I could get my hands on and YouTube videos and everything, thought I was somewhat prepared. And I did it for two years, you know, four hours every day. And then by the time I actually got to the point of taking action and, you know, diving in, I made almost every mistake in the book. And it's just because like, you start dealing with people and you're hands on, and just manipulating and you know i'm like well you know maybe this is just a rule of thumb you know maybe i should give this guy a you know he says he needs the money up front that makes sense you know (laughs) we're cleaning up problems right now on a property from a contractor that we used two years ago yeah and you know i everyone says the vet them and all these different things and i thought like you said oh he seemed like a good guy this and that i'm finding out now that this place could have burned down any minute because of electrical problems he did in there. And uh, we're just so grateful no one got hurt and it didn't get destroyed. And uh, so I mean, now I've learned that the hard way. But I think if you're trying to do the right thing, 
and you're not doing really thin deals, I think pretty much any problem can be fixed. So we are still fixing problems, as I just said. I know extreme veterans have been doing it longer than I've been alive are opening up now saying, I'm fixing problems from 20 and 30 years ago. Yeah. That I screwed up and I just never fixed them. Yeah. You know, it's so good. And and having that good team, the good network, I've been a huge fan of that because I've I've learned so much. So uh, one big mistake I, I did it once is they always say, control your title company, have your title company. But, yes. So I bought something from a wholesaler and I had to use their title company. And at that point becomes so relaxed with my title company. I don't read everything because I know them. They yep. know me. Yep. And I brought that same attitude in. And I still haven't fixed some of the stuff on it. It's not the end of the world, but there were some problems with title, yep. how they worded it and things. So what I would do in the future, in that exact scenario, if the wholesaler is not going to let me do it, I tell them I have to have all the paperwork three days out, and I send it to my title company and pay them. Yeah, that's so good. And it takes time, it takes relationships, and it takes deals to actually go through to build up that rock star title company, right? That you can trust and know that they have your back. And get the recommendations, get the referrals for your area for who's the best of the best. Because I, I've been in the same situation, you know, like the seller is very stern on it has to be theirs. And then you utilize them and, and it's a nightmare. You know, it's crazy. I, I know someone right now using a lawyer for the closing and it's because the sellers, that's who they want to use. And in yep. Florida, we don't typically use a lawyer. We use a title company, but you can. Yep. And I don't even think this guy focuses on real estate closings. Yeah. <laughs> He's like so not I, even you know, an attorney for that, right? Yeah. <laughs> just just my, one of the, the key things that just blew my mind on it is he sent over the full wiring instructions and most, in my opinion, competent people send over part of it and say, please call in because that is yeah. a huge fraud right now. Yeah. yeah. And there's no fixing it. Like, you wired it in the wrong place. The money's gone. Yeah. Good luck. So I, I, I'm telling him, hey, please spend a little bit of money. Send it to this title company. Ask her to review it. Give her a few days because they're busy right now. And it's going to be worth the insurance, the just the stress. And one He's time I've mom. done that. Yeah. I've done that one since. And this title company that I had to use I mean, she talked things up, but she was the best in the title queen, all these things. My title lady had a 10 points of problems. Oh, man. And I, it blew me away. And then I was so shocked that I didn't expect there to be problems. She came off great. Never again. <laughs> yeah. So talk, that, talk to me about your shirt. You know, what, what's, so yes. what do you do in the business if, if the wife's buying it all? <laughs> my my joke is I just have to wear this shirt. I'm her billboard. Yeah, I and hear you. <laughs> this came for many reasons. I used to be a lot more shy. I probably don't come off as much now. And I would have a hard time telling people what I was doing now and everything. And Grant Cardone, listening to one of his podcasts, and he was saying, talked about omnipresence. I'd never heard of that before. And, and if, if you follow Grant Cardone, he is the picture-perfect person of Omnipresent. Everything he does, everyone knows it. He's just a walking billboard. And then I don't like to be normal. I like being a little different. Yeah. 
and I didn't want the black t-shirt that a lot of people sell. It says, I buy houses. I finally came up with this, and you cannot be around my area for the last two and a half, three years without seeing me in this shirt. Yeah. That's all I wear. I have a tank top version for the gym. I have this shirt on no matter what. At home, I don't usually wear it, but I changed just before this podcast because I do not allow people to see me without this shirt on. Seven days a week, baby. Keep it moving. It's it's a walk-in billboard. <laughs> and with the social media, you do some good social media stuff, so you'll, you'll appreciate this. I was posting, hey, we were buying mobile homes and, and got no responses. But then I would pick, post a picture in front of a waterfall, my wife and I traveling with this shirt on. People were like, oh, are you guys in real estate? Yeah. And I was like, what about the other 35 posts I put on? You know, but, but that's not what people relate to. They relate and they enjoy the traveling. So then they see yep. that and they're like, oh, and it was, it was a huge game changer. It, it really helped. As I mentioned earlier, a lot of our deals came from realtors and other investors. And now I'm known as the, the guy with the green shirt on. Yeah. Now for these leads that are coming in, are they, um, are they off market or, or most of them are on the market base? So the realtors don't, most of them don't like to deal with a $21,000 deal. They make the same amount of percentage yeah. you know, on that. So this one actually came from a realtor. This lady wants me to help her with it. She's my friend. I don't want to do the paperwork. I don't want to do it. I just want to help her out. Can you help her? And that's what I did. You know, I gave her a so pocket listing, you know, not even, yeah. not and, you know, not, I have no problem paying the realtor. You know, I, I always ask them, Hey, do you want to just put your 3% in there? Yeah. And she's like, no, sometimes they'll, they'll say yes. But a lot of times they just say, no, I, I don't ever try to cut a realtor out. I mean, cause in reality, the seller is the one paying for it because I have numbers yeah. that I'm going to pay regardless yeah. of what your commission or what your, of course, your wholesale fee is. So the realtors have been mainly pocket listings. We haven't had, I used to look on MLS, but we haven't had great luck there. Okay. And then investors, it has, mobile home space has gotten more popular because That's, people can't find deals. So they're going to these now. So it has definitely drifted down in the last year, but I just help whoever. I mean, I was, before this podcast recording, I was texting with a newer investor. You know, I, I actually, honestly, I haven't even looked at the address to know if it's something I would want to even buy. But I'm giving him, just trying to help him out. Yeah. You know, and I have found most of the time, if he gets to a reasonable number, he's going to give me the first option to buy it. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, again, just trying to help and spread the knowledge. And that has helped me because... I'm one of the local guys that understands mobile homes. So people bring them to me for help. And then also, obviously, you want someone to buy it. So you're going to go to the guy you're already talking to. Yeah. No, I love that. That's that's great. So help out as many people uh, as you can. Always offer the referral fees because obviously you put some money in their, in their pockets. They're going to be shocked. And then... You know, because they're just trying to naturally solve a problem. If you put money in their pockets, then they're going to look for more of those problems to get over to you, which is great. And they deserve the money. I mean, they did work. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, Adrian, as we wrap this up, you know, what does your future look like? What's the next moving parts for you guys? And then how can people reach out to you? Our, our future, it, we obviously want to continue buying. Uh, sure. I don't picture ever not buying properties. I just love the real estate. I love all the aspects we talked about helping people. 
sharing my knowledge. I've had a, a passion for that of just helping so many people helped me. And a lot of these guys are the older guys that, you know, we don't know how long they're going to be with us and still teaching. And I feel a little bit of obligation. Hey, if we all need to start teaching it and passing it on. I mean, your podcast is an excellent way that you're doing that in your manner. So I'm finding my way of how I'm going to do that. And yeah, I, I want to throw real quick. We, I know we circle back on a, to our system. I talked about a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of break it down in four little chunks of attracting your ideal tenant. So it starts before you even put it on the market. So setting the home up, buying the home that's going to attract the right tenant. Yeah. A hassle-free marketing process. Just have a process. I mean, we call that's what we call ours, but have a process. Yeah. Having no process is the worst thing to do. Uh, setting the expectations and the lease signing, you know, the whole time of them questioning stuff, you set the expectations. It doesn't benefit either person. We touched on that with the, the communication. Yeah. And then continuing that when they live there, you know, don't ignore their calls, treat yeah. them right. You know, all those, like, you know, I, I can go on and on and on about that, those things. But I think those are the, the four big pieces of property management and being able to have a true win-win where you want, you want long-term tenants and the tenants want to stay there a long time. Oh, of course. You can want it all you want, but if they don't want to stay there, what yeah. does it do? No, you definitely want to stand out and, and realize that you are in like a, a service business, no matter if you feel like you're going above and beyond to make some amazing property or not, like you should be serving them to the best ability and making sure that they're happy and good, happy tenants will stay the long run. You know, they'll take more pride and ownership in their property. I never mentioned like, hey, uh, you know, this is a rental, like you have to you know, do what I say type of thing. Like they see the lease, but I encourage them say like, Hey, congratulations on your new home. Like, you know, this is your house now. So make sure you take care of it. Like it is yours, you know? Yeah. Um, and I love that. And compliment them. When you yeah. drive by and they've done beautiful landscaping, it looks better than you gave it to them. Yeah. Don't just think that call them, text them, send them a, a note, a card, an email something and compliment them. And, and it goes a long ways doing those small things. I, I've actually sent a gift card in the past. Just, you know, something, it was like 50 bucks, but I saw that one of the tenants, she puts hundreds of dollars in the front, making a, a beautiful garden, like tons of hours. That was like her hobby, but it still brought great curb appeal that some of the neighbors were bragging about. And I was like, you know, that's awesome. So I just wanted to show how much I appreciated it. And I didn't need to pay for it or do any work. So yeah. it's like, bucks, like, yeah, like just, you know. We give our tenants a holiday gift. Yep. And it's something small, you know, usually 10, 15 bucks. I don't know. We don't have an exact budget. You know, it can be a poinsettia. It can yeah. be a gift card. It can yep. be a cup with uh, hot cocoa and coffee, you know, some games and puzzles if they have kids. Yep. You know, it goes a long way and, and we hand deliver those. Like yep. I set out time, you know, I, it doesn't usually happen, but I set 30 minutes per property because yeah. if they want to talk and show me their garden in the back, I want to yeah. see it. Like I want to, yeah. this is the time of year that I get to go and, and keep that rapport and the relationship there and strong. 
So good. I, I had one final question. I know a little bit ago you mentioned just cash flow, like how much per month on certain units and, and some people that you knew were doing like a hundred bucks or so. Do you have a certain price point of what you're accepting for cash flow wise per month? We look at, I would say the ROI a little bit more. Sure. And we shoot for a 30% yeah. because I want some room in there for screw ups because I, I typically screw up somewhere. Yeah. yeah I, so I've learned that I'm not great at estimating costs. Okay. So my job is to get a better deal. So when my numbers are wrong, I'm not losing money. That's yeah. how I've learned to estimate repairs. That's <laughs> not, not the best way. Don't take after that, but that's just what has been working for me. So we look for 30%, but we would never, on these older ones, we would never do anything under 20. Yeah. Because, you know, we're in hurricane area. You guys don't have to worry about them like we do. And we got earthquakes and fire, man. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Everyone has their own thing. Yeah. These things are are hurricane missiles. Uh And it's not that you can just go and replace it. It becomes a lot of money, especially on the old one. You know, you got to bring everything up to code, the septic tanks. It becomes $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 just to get a used one on there, not even a new one. You have that higher risk, so you should have a higher reward. And, you know, we have old ones that still have some aluminum wiring in them. You know, like that's a high risk. And insurance charges it for that high risk. <laughs> yeah, for knob and tube wiring and stuff. <laughs> yeah. so the short answer for us personally, we look at the ROI more. Would I do $100 a month cash flow now? No, unless I saw a ton of appreciation or really big land value. Would I have done that in our growth phase? No, because yeah. we were only cash flow. But now that I can take some more risk, you know, we we did a, a negative cash flow deal last year because we got really good seller financing terms. It was only a few months. Uh, it, it worked out to both of our benefits. And so we had negative cash flow for about, I think, eight months. Mm-hmm. But it worked. I would have not done that during our growth stage. That was too yeah. conservative. But we were, we're at a point where we can take $100 negative cash flow between everything else for the long term. Yeah, me personally, I'm the same way. So like, I won't really look at any or pick up myself for anything that's less than like 250, really 300. But most of our properties are doing like five to 600 per month, which can be well, you know, per door, as long as it's working out, (laughs) you get good people in there, right? So that's what it's all about. Adrian, dude, I appreciate you so much. You got like ridiculous amounts of value. And I know the listeners have, have soaked that up as well. They're probably going to have some questions though for you. So how can people get a hold of you? So they could call uh, the number on my shirt, which is yeah. 863-800-0224. Uh, yeah. I probably won't answer that call very often, but you can tell uh, Jacqueline or Jill to answer it. You know, hey, you heard me on Brandon's podcast and you love to connect. And yep. that'll help get you through the gatekeeper. It's yeah. the easiest way because they I don't answer my phone much anymore. Uh, I've yeah. gotten on too many spam calls. Yeah. You can also just reach out to me on Facebook. I mean, a lot of people are probably watching on the Facebook here. Shoot yeah. me a message on there. I, I try to spend a little bit of time every day replying and helping out people. Yeah. Awesome. So what is your handle on Facebook? So you can look me up for just Adrian Smooth. That's my personal account. And okay. then if you want to follow our business account, it's my wife buys. Love it. I love it. I love it. 
Well, Adrian, dude, I appreciate you so much. Great value today. And yeah, another awesome episode. So guys, if you want to reach out to me, you can always do so at brandonelliotinvestments.com. Otherwise, shoot me a message on Instagram at Brandon Elliott Investments. Make sure to follow us on there. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you guys have any questions about, you know, real estate investing or credit and, and need help with you know, credit repair doing it for you. We have our company for creditrepairmobile.com. Otherwise, if you want to learn how to fix your own credit or just get educated, understand how the banks and lenders are judging you, how to play the game and build up your credit lines, your business credit, your personal credit, get 10 plus cards in a day. And then also, you know, remove all those hard inquiries in less than 24 hours or you know, leverage it to be able to purchase real estate like we have and make money from your credit, do hard money lending and so forth, then uh, you're definitely going to want to reach out. You can check us out at creditcounselelite.com or just DM us and shoot us a message. Let us know if you have any questions. But as always, appreciate you guys so much. Hit that subscribe button for Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast and leave a review. Let us know what you guys think about it. But we will see you next week on the very next episode. Till then, stay blessed. Adrian, appreciate you, brother. Have a great day, guys. Thank you, Brandon. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.